The information and opinions you hear on the Dell Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Dell Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Dell Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Dell Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security. Portions of the show may be previously recorded. Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Listen and grow as Dell questions the status quo, encourages you to think differently, and empowers you to make a better life. Get ready as Dell challenges core beliefs, seeks the truth, and reveals the roadmap to the lifestyle you really want. And now your host, multi-millionaire, national award-winning investor, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Today, my friends, I'm going to start the show off uh, discussing something that's coming up here currently. And that is there's proposed merger between Kroger's grocery store chain and Albertson's grocery store chain. Now, for those of you that don't know these companies by those names, they go by they go under and work under many different names of companies, different companies. Uh, But they are the two largest purely grocery store chains in the country and their buying power is already unbelievable, which means their price controls and their ability to put other people out of business if they want to is quite phenomenal. Now, between the two of them, they own about 16% of all the grocery stores in this country. That doesn't in itself sound like that much, um, but it's about 2,700-plus stores for Kroger's and 2,200-plus stores for Albertsons. Uh, where I live down in Texas... Uh, that's just about every corner. So what's going on is, is that these two guys have decided that they're going to merge. And the reason is because they do essentially the same thing. They're in essentially the same marketplaces. And so they are competition for each other. And on the surface, you can see why they want to do it. One, they, uh, it will give them much larger buying power. So what is this buying power I keep mentioning? Guys, you can go out and buy a glass of Kendall Jackson Chardonnay. And Kendall Jackson is what I would consider the preeminent table wine. In other words, it's the Chardonnay that the average person would order at either a restaurant or a bar. Buy the glass probably anywhere from 10 to $15, if they're greedy, $16 a glass. But you can buy the whole bottle of Kendall Jackson Chardonnay for like 8 bucks at Kroger's. You can go into every other liquor store, every other grocery store, and it costs anywhere from one and a half to two times that anywhere else. And that's just one name brand that I've chosen. Uh, it's that way across the board on all wines and many, many other products. They just have the volume discount. Now, the only competition they have, basically, because of that volume discount, is the other one, Albertsons and or Kroger's. So 
by merging the two, they're doing two things. One, they're giving themselves the ability to buy even larger quantities of, of product at lower price, more economics of scale. And two, getting rid of the competition who's offering the product for the lower price, just like they are. And I've been in Albertsons, and they're not as cheap as Kroger's. They're, they price their stuff a little higher than Kroger's does, at least wise in the wine section. Where I've just used wine as sort of that buying power center to look at. So when you look at these, these stores and you see them merging together, what's going to come out of that? Well, many things come to my mind, and I want to share with you as fledgling investors that you should see from this. One, of course, is the positive. It's the economics of scale. And as a business person, this kind of dominance is a big thing. So for them to be able to do this merger, they have to get an agree. They have to get a okay from somebody, whoever it is that is going to give off the okay to those kinds of things. Um, but one of the things that's going to be required is that they're going to have to get rid of some of their stores, right? And uh, they're going to be required to divest about 650 of the stores. And the reason is because the agency that's looking at this is saying, you'll just have too much dominance. You'll have every store in that part of that town if you don't get rid of some of these stores. You can't have that much coverage. And they're okay with that because they're really creating a lot of duplication. I was talking to actually before I'd heard this happen. I'm reading the article right now, but I'd heard this happen. And I talked to the owner or the manager of the grocery store down the street that I always go to. And he was saying, yeah, we're going to, we're going to close a few stores here. So now they're able to get rid of their, their duplicate efforts and drive more people into one store. Well, so what does that mean? Well, if you have any idea what the payroll is for a grocery store, I don't, but it must be unbelievable because I go there 24-7 at Kroger's. And I don't know if Albert's is open that long, but Kroger's open. And uh, you can go just about any time of day or night. In fact, I don't think it's 24 hours, but I think it's like, you know, 6 in the morning to like uh, 12 o'clock at night or something like that, way, way past any time I'd be going to the grocery store. But... There's always a boatload of people there. You can't run those things empty. And then you've got to have all the stockers and the, you know, on and on and on. You know what I mean. Lots of people. So they're going to be able to cut payroll. Now, what they're going to do with those stores is interesting because you can't sell off stores like that. Why can't you just sell them off? Well, there's many reasons. One, their distribution chains all go through you. And if you the store's worthless once you cut its distribution chain off. And uh, you can't get rid of 650 stores all at once without just totally de- depressing the market and the value of what you own as far as the store and the real estate that the store's in, right? Now, think about having a shopping center. When you have a big-name tenant, a big-draw tenant like Kroger's or Albertson's, That's your main draw into your shopping center. Everybody else, all the other stores are there because of that tenant being there. That's the only reason they go there. Because you got this big, giant open space that's now going to be empty. And it could be empty. They could just shut it down. 
it could be rebranded into a no-name store that you know, all of a sudden starts attracting purple Martians. Grocery stores are just no-name grocery stores like Food City. And I don't even know who owns that. I'm probably insulting somebody. There's also the stores that get robbed and stolen and broken into. And, and by the way, Kroger's and Albertsons are not immune from this new robbery um, and theft stuff that's going on. So don't don't get me wrong. They're, they're, they're running into it also. But when you put a no-name store there, um, your draw has gone way down. And the clientele, quality of clientele that goes into that store has gone way down. Look, I've got a Kroger down the way. If they shut my Kroger right there, I'll either start going to a Kroger on the other side of me, which is a little further away. In fact, you know, probably a good, I'd say, two miles farther the other direction. Um, because I'm not going to go to a no-name store there. Or I'll go to HEB, which is another big-name store here in the Houston area. And uh, But it's big-name and uh, well-run. So... What you'll see is, is that whoever owns that piece of real estate is going to take a hickey. They're going to get killed. Whether they close that store, which would be the worst, or whether they rename it or they sell it off to some other smaller chain, you, you just and you've got nothing. Like I said, there's no recourse because nobody's breaking the lease. They've got the lease. They're paying you the rent, Right. Unless they just close it, in which case they'll use whatever out clause they have, uh, lease termination payment, whatever it costs to break out of that lease, and there you are. Now, you can't afford that kind of stuff. And that's why I've told you guys for 30 years, don't start in commercial real estate. Don't do strip shopping centers. The other thing is probably some of the worst tenant-worthy or lack thereof, worthiness, people are small mom-and-pop businesses because they struggle all the time to make it. You can see what happened in COVID. It wiped out just about everybody. So those small stores have a very difficult time paying their rental payment to you. And they come into business and go out of business very easily, leaving you with vacant space that's not paying any rent at all. So, again, this is the problem with this type of an investment. Now, for the ones where the stores and so forth are not closing, the ones they're leaving open, those landlords are getting no more from it, right? They're getting no more from it other than the fact that, okay, this has been chosen so we probably got a pretty good idea that this lease might get renewed, but they really have had no benefit. This is this is the beauty of leasing. So, for instance, people have asked me forever, Dell, why don't you own the office buildings that you have your offices in? I said, because I don't want to be in commercial real estate. It's not the place to be, right? It's just not the place to be. And I see these guys struggling all the time. And I don't want to be in that position. I don't want to own a giant building that, you know, I have to fill up. Now, the only real estate I own is I own some commercial grocery stores where it is a single tenant store. The, and everybody in that building is that tenant, which is a grocery store. And I bought those back during COVID because 
It's really the only business that wasn't shutting down. They didn't shut down grocery stores. And mine are all out in rural areas, so they're nowhere near, no place where they would build a Kroger's or an Albertsons or anything like that. Um, so you can see that commercial real estate has massive, massive risks associated with it. Um, get this. Kroger's and Albertsons together have a customer base of 85 million households, control 16% of the U.S. grocery market. Each of them has, you know, 2,700, 2,600, 2,200 respective type units. So it's pretty unbelievable. Now, the uncertainty that these other people face it's really, I can't even tell you what's going to happen to them. I really can't. But it is obvious for us as customers that whereas right now there's a store on every corner, they're going to be shutting a lot of those stores down. And we're going to be traveling just a little bit farther to go get our groceries. We'll be right back with the Del Wamsi Radio Show. to creating the lifestyle you really want. Keep listening. The Del Wamsley Radio Show returns in moments. We sold one of my wife's properties and actually did a 1031 exchange and we bought three brand new builds in Fort Worth. Um, so right now, collectively, we have three of her inherited properties and then three properties in Fort Worth that we've done through Lifestyles. And you turn one property into three, tripling your cash flow. Exactly. Yep. Well done. Learn to increase your cash flow. Register for the workshop at lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. We went from 100% live to 100% virtual. And you know, the funny thing is, is that nobody wants to go back to work now that work from home, right? So now my members are like, well, Dell, we want to keep those virtual things open because now I know all the people in Miami and I know all the people in Chicago. I know all the people now know each other from all over the country because of these virtual events. The free workshop, How to Retire in Five Years or Less, is online. Go to lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. You're hearing the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more life-changing knowledge? Access our podcast and listen on demand at lifestylesunlimited.com under the radio tab. Now your host, Dell Wamsley. Welcome back to Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Today we're going to discuss the uh, the attempt by real estate brokerage firms who are trying to sell you on the idea of buying real estate and paying too much for it. Now, why are they trying to convince you you should pay too much for it? Because there's a gap now between what properties are really worth with these new interest rates in place, what it's going to take as far as a price to make them underwrite correctly, and what sellers are willing to let their properties go for, right? So they're in a situation where this, this gap is a time-sensitive issue. You have to let sellers ruminate for a while to realize it's no longer a seller's market. It's been a seller's market for 10 years plus. 
and to just simply go over and say, look, everything you did, all this gains you made and all this improvements you made, it's all wiped out now. If you want to get out of the property now, you're going to have to sell it for less. And so they realize that. But less to them is really, let me explain to you how they sell stuff. If something should be worth $1,000, they're going to try to sell it to you for $1,500, $2,000. And if you negotiate it back to 1400 in fact, what was happening in the seller's market is that they'd offer for $1,500 and sell for $1,800 to $2,000. Now, it's worth 1000 bucks. They're offering it not for $1,500. They're offering it for 1200 and hoping that you won't negotiate it back to less than 1000 but the reality is a lot of guys are still out there offering for one, you know, $1.5 million or $2 million because they haven't got it out of their mind yet that everything you buy doesn't sell for more than what you bought it for when you're in a buyer's market. All right. Having said, we get that, right? Move on to the next part of that concept. Brokers, real estate brokers, mortgage brokers only make money when something gets sold. They need to constitute a sale to get a commission, either real estate sales commission or a mortgage um, brokerage commission. So they have to keep people believing that transactions should occur. Well, they're pounding on the sellers. Believe it or not, they're pounding on In fact, I've heard multiple, multiple times brokers tell me, and I've heard reports from them, they're not taking listings from unrealistic sellers. And they're telling sellers that you're going to get retraded down to realistic numbers because the mortgage companies, the banks and the mortgage companies are not going to allow deals to be underwritten and to be financed when they don't make sense. And so they're pushing on the seller. But at the same time, they're pushing on the buyer. And I heard this God awful discussion the other day. It almost made me want to puke. It was so ugly. It was three of the top real estate companies out there in the country talking about what they're doing right now to make transactions happen. And they it's funny how people come up with, especially people that are losing in life, come up with terms for things that make you believe that it's realistic for them to do what they want you to do. But they were saying, we were looking for price discovery. Now think about what price discovery means. What they're saying is we were looking for the greater fool. There's got to be a guy out there that's dumb enough to pay too much. And they were saying what we're finding in the price is if we put something out there and we say it's worth a million, we'll find 10 people come in with offers at 900,000. We'll find 10 people come in with offers at a million. We'll find 10 people come in with offers at 10 million one. And then we'll find one idiot that will come in with an offer of a million two or a million three. And they're calling that price discovery. We're discovering a price that we can live with. What they're really discovering is an idiot. The greater fool theory works. There are stupid people out there. So, well, why would anybody overpay, Dell? Because it's not their money they're spending. They're a syndicator. They only get paid when they close a deal. They only make more money when they own more deals. Every transaction accumulates transaction fees for them. And so if they're not closing something, if they're not making deals happen, they're not making money or any more money. And so they're not spending their own. They don't care. 
they really don't even care if they lose the money. It's the transaction and the fees that they're going after. You know, a management company, and I've always thought this was stupid, but management companies get paid a fee to manage your property. Well, when I was a management company, quote unquote, I wasn't, but what I was was partners with people. I would say I'll take 25% of the profit, which means if there's no profit, I get nothing. I had 25% of zero. If I couldn't bring you a profit, I didn't make anything. I was paid when you were paid. These guys are paid no matter what. So they're making some ungodly thing like 5 6% of the gross sales. So if you got a giant apartment complex, and that's like Grant Cardone's always screaming, the bigger the property, the better it is, the more money you'll make. No, Grant, we all know you're lying. The bigger the property, the more money you make, Grant. The more money you make on fees up front, the more money you make on fees during the middle, and the more management fees. Now, nah, come on, don't lie to everybody. Big properties are not the best investment. Smaller properties are the best investment. They make much higher rates of return of profit than the big ones do. A big one is like a giant ship out in the ocean. When you need to turn it, it takes forever just to turn it a little bit. It's like it's, my boss used to tell me, it's like a 747. If one engine goes out, that plane's not coasting. It's going down. Whereas if you got a little plane and one engine goes out, you can fly that baby all the way to where you go and land it still. You're fine. Nah, it's just not the same thing. So these guys are trying to tell you that, you know, they're out there saying, we have this price discovery. So what do they do? Well, there's a Marcus Milchap article that comes up, and the guy goes, let's not talk about inflation. Let's not talk about interest rates. You guys all understand all that. It's already there. And let's talk about the things that we think are going to be best indicators for investors to be thinking about. Now, you got to understand, this is a con job this guy's coming up with. These guys are rich, these brokers are. And they're telling you what they want you to hear. And, and I know what they're doing. They're brokerage firm. they got to sell something. They don't make a living if they don't sell something. So they got to get you to believe that it's okay to buy something. And actually, they got to get you to believe it's okay to buy something to pay too much. Because if the prices were to come down, everything would sell. you got to understand that. The only reason prices don't sell, you say, well, real estate isn't liquid. Real estate isn't liquid because you won't sell for what it's really worth. You want to sell it for what you want it for. So if you go to the stock market and say, well, I, you know, I've got $100 stock. I want $200 for it. That'd be pretty liquid, too. But if you got a $200 stock and you put it in the market for 200 somebody wants it, they'll buy it, right? It's just a matter of you're trying to sell stuff for prices that are unrealistic, and you're waiting for the greater fool theory to occur. So here's one of the things they said. They said that um, consumer price, remember, they're saying inflation and interest rates mean nothing. Consumer sentiment was the lowest it's ever been in 50 years in June of this year. Consumer sentiment, the way we feel about the country, the way we feel about buying stuff, the way we feel about you know, in investments, the way we feel about life was the lowest it's been in 50 years. Now, think about this. I always love when people talk about this stupid stuff. And they said, but now in November, it started to come back up. What does that mean? It means from being the absolute worst to the absolute worst plus one is better. Get out of here. That's just ignorance talking. That's like Robert Kiyosaki on TV saying the stupidest thing in the world. 
If you were to buy gold now and it would go back up to its previous high, you would make a 100% return. Now, think about how stupid that is. What you're really saying is it's 50% below where it used to be. Some idiot paid $100 an ounce or or $1,000 an ounce, and now it's $500 an ounce. Or some idiot paid $2,000 an ounce, and it's now $1,000 an ounce. And if it goes back up to $2,000, you'll make a 100% return. But what about the idiot who paid $2,000 that they're talking about? It's high. And that's the same thing in this comment here, the consumer price index, or I'm sorry, consumer sentiment. 50-year low is up a tick. Wow. Do you feel all tickly inside? Do you feel like we're giddy that we just want to go out and buy everything right now? The world's exciting and fun. I do because I'm well off because I made the right decisions and not let the greater fool theory bite me in the butt. I'm not let these guys make me or talk me into buying stupid stuff at the wrong price. I'll buy everything and get my hands on at the right price, right? The second one is cash savings. During COVID, our cash savings went as high as it had ever been because people weren't buying things. There was no place to go to spend your your uh, extra cash. So you just saved it. You weren't going out eating every night. You weren't going on trips. And so all this excess cash just accumulated. We had the largest savings that we've ever had. Now... That's down. And um, I'm trying to see how much they said it was down. They said it, they said it was starting to head back down again. So if our savings is heading back down, they're saying that's a positive thing because now people are starting to buy stuff. No. I will argue the point that the reason their savings is starting to go back down is because they're running out of money from not working. The unemployment or unemployed people who are sitting out there on the sideline which they won't talk about, which are the people that don't even get into the unemployment numbers. These are the people that have elected not to even try to get a job. They're sitting out there living off this money they saved up during COVID. And now that money's starting to go down. Right? So they're saying that this is a good thing, that people are starting to spend money. That's a positive indication, right? Um. But at the same, very same time, personal debt, credit card debt is at the highest on record ever. Wow. Think of that. Maybe these guys have all this cash because they haven't been paying their credit cards or haven't been paying their rental payments. Maybe because the, the government told them they didn't have to pay their bills. And now they have to pay their bills again. Right? But can you imagine how healthy that is for our economy to have credit card debt at the highest it's ever been? Personal debt, highest on record. Hmm. Unbelievable. The last one they talk about is open positions, uh, work, job positions available. And he said there's 10.3 million jobs available today, and there's only 3.7% unemployment. Well, that's because people aren't wanting to go back to work. The government has turned people into lazy sycophants that sit on the sidelines and live off other people's productivity. And if that continues, it's not good for the country. 
That's bad for the country. So everything that I just read right there that they're trying to say is good, I see it as bad. But they had to have something to talk about because they have to come out with an article every week from these guys saying something about the marketplace. Why? Because, number one, in marketing, you got to get in front of people every day or every other day or at least once a week, and you got to get in their face. And, two, you have to have something positive to say to them so that, you know, as you're sitting here hearing the world's caving in around you, that it's still a good idea to pay too much for real estate. Just come to us and let us sell you something for more than what it's worth. And I say to you, no, let's all go over there and tell them we want to buy, but at the price that it should be sold. If all of us get together and say, no, we're not paying those ridiculous prices, Marcus Milchap, then the prices will come down. And we will buy investments that will make our families happy and retire us. And that, my friends, is what it's all about. Remember always, we're not doing this just for some money. We're doing this for a lifestyle. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you tomorrow. Listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more of Dell's unconventional wisdom? Go to lifestylesunlimited.com and click the radio tab. Listen to past shows, hear podcasts on demand, and find out how you can change your life today. The Dell Wamsley Radio Show is part of the Lifestyles Unlimited Radio Network. The information and opinions you hear on the Dell Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Dell Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Dell Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Dell Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.